Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church. Well, today we are starting a brand new three-week series uh, called Lost and Found. Lost and Found. We're going to start today. Pastor Rocky will pick up where we leave off next week. And this whole series is based off of Luke chapter 15. So if you have a Bible or you have a phone or an iPad with an app on it, you can get there ahead of me and you'll be ready to read with us. If you didn't bring any of those things, it's okay. All of those verses will be up on the screen this morning as well. So you can look there to read along. And so in Luke chapter 15, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at these three parables that Jesus tells in this one passage of Scripture. And these three parables um, really kind of illustrate and and give us a, a really good look at just how much God loves us, how he has gone to extreme lengths to find us and to, to love us and to save us. And if you're unfamiliar with what a parable is, a parable is essentially just a story that is told uh, to convey a point. And so in this context, as we're talking about Jesus speaking in parables, we're talking about Jesus telling an earthly story that has some kind of a heavenly meaning. It's layered with tons of truth. You see, Jesus only had a few short years with his followers to really preach and teach and to instill into them and download into them everything that they were going to need to carry the gospel forward. And so he used stories a lot of times to illustrate these points because as you kind of open it up, it just kind of peel layer after layer after layer, and we're still discovering truth about these stories all of these years later. Now, these stories that we're going to talk about, these stories are not true stories. Now, hear what I say when I say that. I'm not saying that Jesus didn't tell the story. I'm saying the story that he told was an anecdote. It was just a a fictional story to illustrate a very deep spiritual truth. And so what we're going to do is we're going to investigate, look at these three stories that we find in Luke chapter 15. The first one that we'll talk about today is the parable of the lost sheep. The second one is the parable of the lost coin, and then the third one is the parable of the lost son, or what we would probably refer to as the prodigal son. There are similarities that kind of tie all these in together, and really they all kind of come up and form one big point. But the similarities that you find as you look through all these different parables is that something is lost, that thing is found, and then there is a party afterwards. So maybe we should have called the series Lost and Found and Party. I don't know. It just didn't have the same ring to it, so we we didn't do that. But there's something that's lost, there's something that's found, and then there is a party that ensues afterwards. And so today we're going to dive right in with the parable of the lost sheep. And so we're going to start in Luke chapter 15, and we'll begin verse 1. And it starts out like this, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. The him in that is Jesus. So they were all drawing near to hear Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. It's interesting to me how this whole story kind of starts off. It's really, nobody asked Jesus any questions. Nobody said, hey, Jesus, do you have any really good information about lost things that are found and then a party that happens afterwards? No, what happens is Jesus hears all of these ultra-religious people complaining because Jesus is spending his time with all of these people that they quote-unquote call sinners and they are upset about it. And so he hears their grumbling and their complaining. The message translation of verse 3 actually says, and it triggered this story. So Jesus was triggered into telling these three stories. And so he answers the question they didn't even know they were asking that is a huge big question with this story. And it starts in verse 4. He says, what man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one 
that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. God, I thank you that it is alive, that it is active, and it speaks to our hearts. God, I pray that above all else today, we would know you, that we would know your voice, that we would hear your voice, recognize your voice, follow your voice, and know that you love us. And we love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, a couple years ago, actually two years ago, uh, coming up in April, Deanna, my wife, and I, we had this opportunity to travel to California, and it was kind of a bucket list thing for, for me and, and my wife both to go to California. It's something even before we even knew each other, we both just wanted to be able to go to California on vacation sometime, and so this opportunity arose because some very, very good friends of ours, uh, Rocco and Betsy, some of you guys know them, uh, they lived here for a while, they've, they've since uh, moved actually to California, but they were getting married, they asked me to do the wedding and I was just thrilled about it um, because I got to go to California. And also we would get to celebrate them too, but it's fine. Um, and so it was right around the time that Deanna and I were actually celebrating our 10-year wedding anniversary. That was in March, and so the wedding was in April. So we're like, we're just going to smash it all together, and we're going to go to this wedding, and uh, we're going you know, to have a great time, and, and we're going to go and make this kind of our anniversary slash celebrate the wedding kind of a, a trip. And we were just pumped up about it. We really were. This was actually the first... Uh, trip or vacation that we were taking after our uh, second child, our son was born. Uh, he was about five or six months at this time, and so this is the first time we were going to get out of town without the kids. You know what I'm saying? And um, <laughs> so it was just going to be a great trip. It was going to be an amazing trip. And so we're all excited about this. We were going to we're flying into San Francisco, and they live about an hour and a half north of that, uh, where he was getting married, where the wedding was going to be. And so we decided when we fly into San Francisco, we'll have enough time to drive around, check out the city a little bit, see some things, and then head up um, a, a little bit north of there uh, for the wedding festivities the next couple of days. And so we left our home, I think, around 3 o'clock in order to get to the airport, in order to catch the flight. We're in the air for a long time. It's a long flight. We land. We get there about 11.30 or noon uh, West Coast time. And so for us, it's like 3 o'clock, right? And, uh, and it had already been a, a long day, but we were like, no, we're not wasting this opportunity. We're in this place we've never been before. Um, you know, at least we're going to go find some place to eat here. And my thing when we go eat somewhere out of town is I don't want to eat anywhere that I can eat in town. I don't want to eat at a chain restaurant. I don't want to eat anywhere that I can eat back home. And, you know, that, that's just kind of our, our thing. And so we just start looking for, you know, for places to eat. Well, before this, I had some advice before we even left. And I gave him props uh, first service, and so I'll, I'll, I'll give him a shout-out again. Uh, my friend Rob told me, uh, he said he's been to San Francisco many, many times on business, and he travels there quite often, and he said, listen, if you're going to do anything in the city, don't rent a car, because parking is atrocious. Just Uber everywhere you go. He said the city's basically set up for it. That's where it started, and so just Uber everywhere you go. And I was like, what does a guy who's been there dozens of times know more than the guy who's never been there? Of course... So we are, are starting out our journey, and I'm like, I have to rent a car to drive an hour and a half, and then we're going to have that car the rest of our time here. I'm not paying for that rental and an Uber. Sorry, Rob. I think I know best. Moral of the story, Rob knows best. So, um, <laughs> so we're looking for a restaurant. We find something. All right, let's just go drive there. So we get the rental car. We're driving around, and we go to this place. And sure enough, parking 
is atrocious. I mean, it is exactly what he described. If you can find a spot, and that is a capital if, if you can find a spot in that city, it is, I'm not lying to you, somewhere around $15 per half an hour. It is crazy expensive, and that's if you can find a spot. They literally make apps for that city where you can sell parking spots in front of your home. You can rent them out and pay your mortgage with just the parking spot in front of your house. Not making it up. If you've been there, you know that's true. And so I'm just, we're driving by. So we find this restaurant we're going to go to. It's in the middle of, of the city. And, uh, you know, we can't park anywhere. There's no parking anywhere at all. So we just kind of drive by like, you know, like just sad that we see it. I mean, I, I could, like, make, like we could smell it, but we can't get in because we can't stop the car anywhere. Just traffic. So we're getting frustrated. You ever been there? You ever been frustrated? And so we're typing another place, and so we're following the GPS, and we get there, and it's even worse than the first place. I mean, like, cars lined up down the street, nowhere to park. And at this point, it's around, like, 1.30, 2 o'clock West Coast. So we've been up forever, because that means it's, like, 5 o'clock our time, 4.30 our time. And uh, some things that you need to know about me and some things you need to know about Deanna to provide some context for what I'm about to share with you of which I am not proud. I have a hard time controlling my anger when I am hungry. Some would call this being hangry. Um, anybody in the room, you have that spiritual gift as well. All right, yeah, all right. So we all know what we're talking about, we get it. And those who love us, they get it too. It's, it's so bad that Deanna just starts like bringing snacks with us anywhere we go. And if I start getting cranky, she's just like, here. She just hands it to me, nothing else is said because early in our marriage, she's like, you need to eat something, let's go eat. And I'm like, you wanna talk about eating right now? And then just, pff, you know, hangry, you get it, right? So I get hangry. I hadn't had a full meal all day because we've been traveling in and out of airports, and so it just kind of like snacks here and there. I was hangry. My wife does not get hangry. She is a saint, as far as that's concerned. She does, however, get angry when she gets tired, which we call tangry. That's just what we call it. Um, and so she was up for a very long time, as we both were. She's exhausted. She's tired. I'm hungry. And so we just like, it just starts just building. You know, you know that like every married person in the room knows exactly what I'm talking about right now. Like I see y'all like, I am not looking over at her right now because we've been there on the way to church this morning. And so like, it just like, it's like, a, it's like an instant pot for fighting right there in that car. Like the windows are up, the pressure is just, and, and Deanna and I, we are really, really good um, at being sarcastic. And so there is just so much passive aggression in this car. It's just like dripping off of the windows, like it's that bad. And so it's just building and building and building. And finally, I, I promise you, I'm not trying to say that I am proud of this moment at all, but we had the most epic fight of our entire marriage, going on 12 years next month, the most epic fight of our entire marriage. I will spare you the details, even though I know you want to hear them. But man, we had an argument to end all arguments, man. Tired and angry and completely lost in this city where we have never been before and can't find a place even to stop and park for five seconds to compose ourselves. We just had to keep driving around blocks and cities and all. We were so helpless, right? When you get lost 
in a place like that, there is no other way to describe it but helpless, hopeless, just frustrated, anxious. You've been there before, right? You've been someplace where you got lost, whether you were out hiking and you lost a trail or whether you were in a car and you couldn't find a place or maybe you lost something that is very valuable to you and you're looking everywhere for it. You're tearing the place apart and you're trying to find it. Regardless, we've all been in that place where something was lost. Either we were lost or we lost something else and there is just this feeling of hopelessness, right? There are these emotions that just kind of bubble up to the surface. You have no idea what to do and no idea who to turn to. And so as we hear the words of Jesus as he's telling this parable, as he's telling this story to this group of sinners and Pharisees, we feel that tension in this story, don't we? I mean, put yourself in that spot. You've lost something or you've been lost. And so he's, he's conveying all of that tension as he's talking about this sheep that's just wandered off. All of these emotions are kind of built into this story. And not just this story, but the ones following it later on in the chapter. And what we're going to discover today together that really this story is just this amazingly beautiful metaphor for the kingdom of God and just how passionate God is about us, his creation. This first story, again, is referred to as the lost sheep, but really it's about a very good shepherd. And just to recap the the main points, the story he tells, there's this shepherd who has 100 sheep. He finds that one is missing. He leaves 99 of them, and he goes and finds the one. He grabs the one, puts it on his shoulder, starts rejoicing, heads home, invites his neighbors and his friends to party because it was lost, and now he found this sheep. That's kind of the long and short of it. And it's not really all that hard to see that In this story, the characters that are played out, the sheep and the shepherd, it's not hard to figure out which one we are and which one Jesus is. We are absolutely the sheep in this story, and Jesus is absolutely the shepherd in this story. I'm going to go even further than that and say, excuse me, I'm going to go even further than that and say it's not just that we are the sheep, we are the one sheep that wandered off and got lost. Because as Jesus tells the story, he talks about these 99 sheep that he left behind. But then when he gives the recap afterwards and he kind of explains a little bit of the truth, he refers to those 99 sheep as righteous persons who need no repentance. Do you know any human being like that? Because we all need repentance. In and of ourselves, we cannot be right with God without the shepherd Jesus Christ. And so as he's telling this story, essentially the, the, the one part of this for you and I to relate to is that one sheep that just kind of wandered off. And I want to share just a few things about the nature of sheep and why we can draw this parallel pretty easily. Now, I know this is going to be very, very difficult for you to believe, but I am not a farmer, I'm not a rancher, and I'm not a herder, a herdsman. I don't even know what you call it, see? So I think that should be enough illustration right there. It's just not who I am. And so as I was preparing for this, I, I did a lot of research on sheep, which is a cool way to spend a Friday night, guys. It's really fun. Research ancient Middle Eastern shepherding techniques and sheep. I'll tell you what, man, it's just a mile a minute in my life. And so I, I, in studying these, it's really obvious to see some of these parallels. In fact, there, there was this book that I was reading from a man who was actually a shepherd in East Asia, or uh, I'm sorry, East Africa, and um, the, the parallels between um, the Middle East, ancient 
uh, kind of shepherding and, and what he would have been doing in, in his time as a shepherd were very, very close. And then on top of that, he actually pastored a church later on in his life. So he gets the pastor part, he gets the shepherd part. And so he explains that we are a lot like sheep in a few different ways. I apologize in advance if this is offensive to you, but we are not necessarily compared to the brightest of all the animals in the world. Because if we're going to relate to sheep, here's what sheep do, here's how they act, and here's how their kind of minds work. Sheep have what he calls this mass mind, this mob instinct. Sheep are scared of everything and they have no defense system at all. You've never seen a sheep fighting anything, right? And so their defense is just to run, and so they're always ready to run. But what happens is when one sheep sees another sheep run, they assume just instantly something's wrong. Bad news is happening. Bad news is happening. <laughs> so they assume that bad news is here, and so they just all run. So when one goes, they all go. It could be nothing at all. It could be something got scared of its shadow, and it takes off, and all the other sheep are like, all right, here we go, right? We got to run, because something is, a, is scary, right? We got to go. Like, does that not exactly explain our culture in 2019? Does that not exactly just say kind of where we are as a society? Does that not explain the share button on Facebook? Oh my Lord, right? Does that not explain every viral video that has instilled fear in our society? That we hear one person say one thing on the internet, it's got to be true, and then we're all like, oh no, the end of the world, the sky is falling, right? We have this, this kind of mob mentality, this, this like mindset that if some person says this is scary, we're all going to have to follow suit. And so we, we are very much like sheep in that way, that we will follow after in fear, someone that's running or someone that's afraid. On top of that, sheep are extremely timid. And of course, based on what we just talked about, they're very fearful as well. There's no self-confidence at all. They need constant supervision to really thrive. Um, of all of the animals that you would classify as a herd, they are the most needy, highest maintenance animal, they tell us. And so they need constant supervision. They can't really do anything on their own. They're constantly looking for information and reaffirmation and all those kind of things. And so that kind of, we can see places in our life where we relate to that. They also have some pretty interesting self-destructive habits. Um, it's, it's been noted that sheep, as the shepherd is leading them to cool, clear, clean water, that if they happen upon a dirty puddle, mud puddle full of bacteria and uh, you know, all kinds of stuff that's going to make them sick. Even if the clear water is only a few yards away, they will stop and drink what's right in front of them. It's a bad habit because they just see what's right there. They won't take the extra steps. Does that sound like maybe anybody that you know? I would say that we all as humans probably have some pretty destructive habits for ourselves. And then maybe the, the icing on the cake, right? is that sheep are very much described, don't be offended, as stubborn and stupid. Do we even need to use any illustrations to compare us as humans to that nature? We do stupid things all the time. And I am not stubborn, you're stubborn, right? And so we are stubborn. That was the sarcasm sliding in there. We are stubborn. And we don't make the best choices all the time. And so we're prone to these things we know about ourselves. We know that when you hear those things that, okay, yeah, I'm definitely the sheep then. I'm definitely the sheep, and I'm, I kind of identify with that one sheep that wandered off and did its own thing. But listen, we could talk about how bad we are all day, 
But the reality is, is that this parable, as I said, it's described as the parable of the lost sheep, but it's really about a good shepherd. And so that's what I want to spend a little bit of time on. I want to talk about what it, the good shepherd really looks like and, and the characteristics of Jesus as this shepherd for us. And so I want to take a look at a, at a passage of scripture for us to kind of base this on because the whole Bible is full of these metaphors, this sheep shepherd kind of metaphor for Jesus being the shepherd and us being the sheep. You find it all over the Bible and maybe nowhere more famous than the 23rd Psalm. And so we're going to spend a little bit of time in the 23rd Psalm reading and, and kind of digesting some of that. And so the 23rd Psalm is written by King David, whose former occupation was a shepherd. So if anybody knows anything about shepherding, and anybody, think, anybody that knows anything about sheep, King David would be the exact one to write this song about him being the sheep and Jesus being his shepherd. And so we see in Psalm 23, we'll start out in verse 1, as we investigate and as we discover just exactly the kind of shepherd it is that Jesus is describing when he describes himself. And so David starts the song like this. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Man, just the beginning line, the opening line of this song is so incredibly powerful. The Lord is my shepherd. Essentially, it's David saying, I recognize and I understand that I am not my own. I understand and recognize that I am being led by the shepherd. I recognize that I can't get it all figured out and that I am coming under the authority and the leadership of God, of Jesus, the good shepherd in my life. And David would have understood a lot about shepherding. In fact, David would have known very specifically that a shepherd can't start shepherding until he has some sheep. That's pretty obvious, right? Even this city boy can figure that one out. And so you can't start shepherding without sheep, and you can't make sheep without sheep. And so how do you acquire sheep? Well, you buy sheep, right? You have to purchase sheep. You have to save money. You have to save your resources. You have to work hard at other endeavors. You save enough money, then you can go buy some sheep. There is a price that has to be paid in order to even be a shepherd and to own sheep. David would have understood this fact very, very well. And I love that in John 10 and verse 11, Jesus talking about himself, talks about the kind of shepherd he is. He said, I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Essentially, Jesus is saying, I'm going to die for you. I'm that good of a shepherd that I'm going to die for my sheep. But that's the price that was paid so that he could be our shepherd. The price that was paid in order for Jesus Christ to be the good shepherd, to purchase our salvation, to rescue us from the captivity that our hearts were stuck in sin, was the cost of his life on the cross, the shedding of his blood on the cross. Him being buried and raising from the dead three days later was the cost that he paid for us to be able to be called his sheep. You know, I love that uh, one of the things that I read about shepherds is that they would find ways to identify their sheep, especially in, in these ancient times. Now there are tags with GPS and all kinds of stuff that you can put on these animals. But back then what they would do is they would take a really sharp knife and they would carve a very unique symbol or shape into the ear of every sheep 
that was in their flock, in their care. And they would know from a ways away that that was their sheep, no matter what, because it was identified by them. They bore the mark. They carried this mark of their shepherd with them everywhere that they went. It was painful for the sheep. Shepherds will tell you that it's painful to to do that to the sheep because there's this relationship between the shepherd and the sheep and so much trust that happens in there because of them being a very needy kind of animal. And so it was painful. It was painful for that process to happen, but once that process happened, there was this mark that the sheep carried around. And I just wonder, is that the same kind of mark that we should be carrying around, not of something in our ear, but should we be marked by the cross of Jesus Christ, that everywhere we go, we are easily being recognized as one of his followers, as one of his sheep. And it's painful. It costs us things. We sacrifice things, but nothing in comparison to what he sacrificed for us. And so David starts this psalm by saying, the Lord is my shepherd. He is in charge. I'm the sheep. I know my place. And he is the shepherd. And then he continues by saying, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. See, there are two tools that a shepherd would carry with them at all times. One was a staff. We're very familiar with this imagery. Staff would be a long stick, and it would have a a hook at the end, a crook. And, and, And what that shepherd would do is he would lead the sheep with that. In fact, shepherding is a pretty unique process because you can't drive sheep. You can't push sheep. As referenced earlier, sheep are are really skittish, they're afraid, and they're kind of dumb, and so you try to push them, they just freak out. Either they just stop, or they just spread, or they, you just can't do it. And so when a shepherd leads sheep, he is literally leading the sheep, because he is out in front of the sheep, and he has these two tools in his hand. He has this, this staff in his hand that is used to guide the sheep. And so if one of the sheep is starting to, to get off of the path or is starting to get outside of the fold, he'll use that, that hook to, to get around its neck and its head and bring it back in and guide it back into place and give that sheep the direction that it needs. But he also has a rod in his hand. And the rod is not for the sheep. The rod is an instrument to protect the sheep from intruders, whether it be marauders or thieves or whether it be predatory animals trying to come in and attack and, and, you know, take these sheep away or eat them or whatever it would be. And so the shepherd would literally use this rod to beat off the attackers that would try to, to take over the flock. So as this shepherd is walking in front of the sheep, the sheep are looking up, seeing the shepherd with the staff in one hand, knowing that they're going to be directed, and the rod in the other hand, knowing that the shepherd will fight for them. What an amazing picture of Jesus Christ, is that he wants to lead us and guide us, and if we stay in his path, then we are protected from any enemy, anything that would come against us. But you see, here's what we do when we follow Jesus, or when we want to follow Jesus, is that we want some of the benefits without some of the cost, don't we? It's almost like we want the protection of God, but we don't want the direction of God. We want God to use that rod to to fight off anything that would be bad that's coming our way. We pray, God, please protect me. Please save me. Please help me. Please take care of this and this and this and this. Do this for me. Do that for me. And, and, And fend off all of the people and all of the things and all of the attacks of the enemy. Fend that off. 
But then as soon as that staff comes out and it's gonna correct some behavior or it's gonna direct us or it's gonna provide some way of, of showing us the path that we should be on, if it's just the least bit uncomfortable for us, we're like, whoa, 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 I don't know about this. I don't know if I signed up for all this. See, we don't get one without the other. We don't get the direction and the guiding without the protection and hand in hand, the same thing is true. And so he not only leads us and guides us, he protects us after he paid that severe price for us. And then David continues and saying, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I love the way that this starts. The Lord is my shepherd, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Because as David describes our shepherd, he paints this picture of a shepherd who loves us unconditionally, who gives his life for us, who protects us, who guides us, who directs us to green pastures and cool waters. And so there's this, this image that David paints of the shepherd who loves us so much and only wants what's the best for us. And then he kind of puts the exclamation point on it. And in my words, it would sound something like this. Why would I ever want to go anywhere else except God's house? Why would I want to live anywhere outside of what this shepherd wants me to do? He only wants what's best for me. He's going to provide for me when I think that there's no way of provision to be found. He's going to take care of me. And so why would I want to wander? Why would I want to go anywhere else? But we see in Luke chapter 15, this sheep that is in the herd and being shepherded by the good shepherd still wanders, still knows all that, is feasting on a green pasture, but somehow looks up, wanders off, and leaves. And isn't that just the picture of us sometimes as we follow Christ, we get distracted. We know that where we are following Jesus is where we should be, but we look up, we look over, and we wander off. Why? Why? The shepherd is so good. What in the world would possibly compare to what God has for us? Why would we wander? I think the answer is very simple. The answer is that the devil is a liar. The answer is that the devil wants nothing to do with you being in the fold, in the flock of the good shepherd. Do you know why? Because he wants to isolate you. He wants to get you out from the protection of that shepherd. He wants to get you outside of that and by yourself because he knows that he can take you out a whole lot easier if you're not within the bounds of protection of the good shepherd. You are way more susceptible to the attack of the enemy when you are alone and confused and the lost sheep. It is way easier for a predator to take out one sheep without a shepherd than for him to take out a sheep that is protected by the rod of the good shepherd. The enemy is very smart and elusive how he does this, though. Because you would think that as we stand back and take a bird's eye view of this story and say, God is amazing. God is that good. 
He's that good of a shepherd. You can't ever you know, compare anything to that. Nothing would ever be as good as that. And so the devil doesn't come into our minds and into our thoughts and plant seeds like, hey, you should just run away and just blow it all up and just, you know, no, it doesn't start like that. How does it start? He sows little seeds of discontent. He sows little seeds and say, are you really satisfied doing what you're doing right now? These little questions that we ask ourselves and they play out in all these different ways in our lives as thoughts start to grow. It's, it's kind of like, you know, you want that, that thing, right? That new, shiny, whatever, vehicle or boat or shoes or phone or whatever, right? And you know that you don't really need it, but you want it. And so you convince yourself 5,000 reasons why you should have that thing when deep down you know, you know what, I really don't need it. I don't really need it. I can be satisfied with what God has given me. Now, am I saying you're not supposed to have nice things? No, not at all. But we all know ourselves, and we know when we're stepping outside of that level of being satisfied in God. Because most of the time, if there's something in our life that we don't need, some material possession, but we try really, really hard to attain it, if we don't need it, it's because we're trying to fill something in our lives that cannot be filled with any material goods. We are trying to fill some deep need that we know if we buy that thing, it's gonna make me happy for a while, for a day, for a week, for a month, for a year, and I'm still gonna be paying on it long after the shine wears off. And then I'm gonna have to buy another thing to keep me happy. But the devil doesn't come to you saying, you need to buy this thing because I want you to wander away from God because I wanna take you out. He says, hey, you sure that thing you got is as good as this thing over here in this pasture? Are you sure that grass is as green right where you are eating as it is on the other side of that fence? Just take a look. Just look up. Check it out. It's, it's, it's like in our lives we have this, this opportunity to, to obey God's word and keep the Sabbath holy. Take that one day, set it aside where we don't work and we allow God to restore our minds and our bodies and our spirits, our souls. And we just trust that he is going to take care of us. We trust that he's going to provide for us. But the temptation is always there. But if I don't do that this week, and then I just work through that day, think about the dollars that I could have on the other side of that. Think about what my paycheck will look like next week if I skip the Sabbath this week. Because if I get that amount of money, then I'll be able to buy that thing, which I really want, that I need to make me happy, that's not really going to make me happy, then I'm going to need to buy something else. It doesn't start there. It starts with just that one day, that one hour. It's like wherever you work, whatever your job is, whether you own a business or you're a manager or a, a leader or you're just an employee or whatever your, whatever your situation looks like, we all have opportunities in our employment to walk in integrity, to do the right thing. In the eyes of the law, in the eyes of our management, in the eyes of the company that we work for, we have an opportunity to do things the right way and walk in integrity, but we also have an opportunity to cut corners. We have an opportunity to do the wrong thing even when nobody's going to notice. We're kind of left with this decision of, do I honor God by being a man or a woman of integrity and doing things the right way, the way that I know that they should be done because I know God's going to bless me for that? Or do I take the shortcut because it's going to save me some time, it's going to save me some money, and nobody's ever going to know? We see this play out in marriages all the time, don't we? 
this idea of being dissatisfied, not content. How many times do we hear people say, well, I know that I'm supposed to be faithful, but. I know that I'm supposed to love my wife, but. I know I'm supposed to love my husband, but. He doesn't do this, 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 or this, or she doesn't meet my needs this way, this way, and this way, but that person at work, they're nice. They talk to me. They listen to me. I'm attracted to them, and they seem attracted to me, and we have great conversation. When I go home, I have to, like, just feels like I'm just plowing the ground to get a one word out of my spouse, and so it's just, I mean, it'd just be a conversation. It's just a lunch. It's just a, it's just a text. It's no big deal. It's just a message. You see, when we get our eyes off of our shepherd and we start looking over to the distractions that the enemy will gladly plant in our minds, it is so easy for us to get off course and before we know it, we look up and we're lost and we're alone and we're afraid and we don't see the shepherd, we don't see the herd, we're just all out there by ourselves. Because we had it all but we wanted more. In this book that I was reading, the shepherd talks about this one sheep that he had that constantly was getting loose, constantly finding ways through holes in the fences and, and finding ways to get out. It was, a, it was a consistent thing. And so he tried to correct the behavior. He tried to, to figure out ways to make sure the sheep wouldn't escape, but it started getting worse and worse, and he was having to chase after the sheep all the time. The lambs of this sheep would follow that sheep as that sheep started to wander out of the pasture where he could protect it. Parents in the room, did you hear what I just said? The children of this sheep that was trying to get out of the pen, that was trying to get out of the flock, that was trying to wander away, were following it as it wandered. As parents, if we don't choose to stay where God wants us and we instead let those seeds of discontent grow in our minds and force us to wander, then our children are sure to follow us. And not just that, but he discovered that other sheep were starting to follow it as well. Because people are always following us. Whether you realize it or not, people are always watching us. And they will follow what we do. And so he had a very difficult decision to make. And the decision that he made would appall those of us that have no experience in this world, but apparently is not all that uncommon for a shepherd. But he had to slaughter that sheep. There's no way to correct that behavior. And so he went after that sheep one day after it wandered to find it, to slaughter it, to take care of the problem. This is where the metaphor deviates for us. This is where the difference comes in between a shepherd, that shepherd and his sheep that wandered and the good shepherd and the sheep that wandered in Luke 15. Because when Jesus starts going out, when the good shepherd starts going out to look for that sheep that wandered, that had it all and walked away from it, that was protected and walked away from it, that had somebody who paid a dear price for him and walked away from it, when he goes out to find that sheep, does he go look for that sheep to punish the sheep? No, he goes to look for that sheep to rescue that sheep. 
and he picks that sheep up and he carries it home and then he throws a party. This is the part of the kingdom of God that doesn't really fit in our minds and we just have to choose to accept that this is grace. That sheep didn't do anything to earn it. That sheep didn't do anything to deserve the treatment that it got. It deserved to be slaughtered, but instead, the good shepherd picked him up and brought him home. And that is the picture of the gospel. That is the picture of what Jesus, the good shepherd, does for us is that he finds us in our sin. He finds us when we've walked away, when we knew what was better and we did the other thing anyway, when we let those small temptations build into big temptations and we find ourselves in the middle of this mess that we have made. He comes not to punish us, not to beat us with his rod, but to pick us up and to carry us back home. This is the message of the good shepherd. This is the message of the sheep. And so maybe you're here this morning and you feel like, you know what? I I feel like I'm following. I feel like I'm tracking. I I feel like, like I've matured in my walk with Christ. I'm so, so excited about that. And I don't want to dump a bunch of water on that because that is extremely important. However, if the last temptation didn't get you to go off course, you can be sure that there will be a new temptation customized just for you to try to get you to wander off. Be vigilant. Be aware. The Bible says that the the devil roams about like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. He is always looking for ways to get in there. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, you know what, I know exactly what it feels like to be in the fold. I know exactly what it feels like to follow the good shepherd and to feel that love, to know I'm not lost. But man, that one decision led to that other decision that led to that other decision, and now I'm looking around and I'm lost. I have no idea what to do. I can tell you that Jesus is looking for you. He's after you. He's hunting you down because he loves you that much, and he just wants to bring you home. And if you'll listen, if you'll stop all the noise, you'll hear his voice, and you'll recognize that voice. Yet maybe there are some of you that you could say, I I have no idea. I've never experienced that kind of love before. I I really just thought that God was mad at me. I I just really didn't even know if this whole thing was even real. But I want to be found. I recognize that I'm lost. I just want to be found. I can tell you that the same is true for you, that God is looking for you. God orchestrated things in your life for you to be sitting in the chair that you're sitting in today to hear this story that Jesus told 2,000 years ago, to get the point across to you that just in case you accept it, he loves you that much. And it's an opportunity for you to stop trying to wander and just say, okay, I want to be found. You see, this story in Luke chapter 15 is not about how we come to God. This story is about how God came to us. And it is the picture of his love, his acceptance, his forgiveness, because he is the good shepherd. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org. Thanks again for listening.